Good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning service. Um, we're using a slightly different means of communication, but it's great to have you with us. And um, we hope that you will enjoy the more you've enjoyed the worship, that you're going to enjoy the sermon. And we hope that you're coping wherever you happen to be at the moment. Before I begin, I've got some questions to ask you. Firstly, have you got enough food? Have you got enough of the, the essentials that you need to sustain yourself? Have you got enough drinks, tea bags, coffee, squash, that sort of thing? Have you got enough solid fuel if you need that to heat your house and your water? And perhaps most importantly of all, have you got enough toilet rolls? For some reason, everybody seems intent on buying as many toilet rolls as they can possibly fit in their car. I can't quite work it out, because as far as I know, this virus affects you here and here rather than anywhere else. But all the same, buy toilet rolls. It's funny, isn't it? Because a few weeks ago, it was absolutely unimaginable that these basic essentials would be unavailable that we wouldn't just be able to walk into a supermarket and pluck them off the shelves in whichever quantity that we wanted. The position that we're in today would have seemed inconceivable even just two weeks ago. These are indeed strange times. And yet, in many ways, we've been here before. If you look at Luke chapter 17, verse 11, you see the, the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers. Now that's interesting because what we see here is a biblical example of social distancing. I'd never heard of social distancing this time last week. Now it seems to prop up in every conversation that I have. But listen to this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You see, these lepers were practising social distancing. They saw that there was a healthy bunch of people, Jesus and his disciples, and they knew that if they got too close, then they would easily pass on leprosy because it was contagious. When he saw them, Jesus said, go. He didn't say, come. He didn't say, follow. He said, go. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So you see, social distancing is nothing new. It's been practiced since biblical times. Many of us soon are not only going to have to find ourselves social distancing, but also isolating. Now, I'm terrified about lockdown because I've noticed something. I've noticed that my wife seems to be stockpiling different items, different machines and tools, just so that as soon as she's got me trapped in the house, that list of chores that's been on the worktop for years that I've successfully managed to dodge up to this point is going to be thrust upon me. And I'm going to say, but we haven't got a pressure washer. She's going to say, yes, we have. I've borrowed one. Incidentally, if she asks you if you, can, if you can lend her a pressure washer, just say, no, you haven't got one, please. But you see, we've spent a lot of time this week thinking about how we're going to feed ourselves when we're locked away. 
We've spent a lot of time thinking, how are we going to entertain and amuse ourselves? We've spent a lot of time thinking about the different things that, that we can do. How are our children going to be educated? How are our businesses going to run? How are we going to do our jobs? But maybe an important question that we should be asking ourselves as Christians is, where's our spiritual nourishment going to come from? What are we going to do to ensure that when we're locked away, the fear and the boredom doesn't overwhelm us? Well, I hope that you're sitting there today with your Bible in front of you. Because what we have here is a toolkit for surviving whatever the next few months throw at us. This is a toolkit that will help us cope with whatever circumstances we've got ahead of us. Self-isolation is terrifying for many people, but again, we can look to scripture and see examples. There's a warning when we see Jesus isolating himself for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert after his baptism. What happens when he's on his own? He's tempted. When we're shut away in the weeks to come, we too will face temptation. Hopefully not in quite the same way, but certainly we will be tempted to become a bit lazy, a bit slovenly. We'll be tempted to, to stop phoning people, to sit on the sofa all day watching Netflix or Amazon Prime. Now, as appealing as that might sound, we cannot go on for months simply doing that. Elsewhere, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we're told that Jesus took himself away to pray. He actually went to a secluded place. Now, it's not self-isolation as we, as we know it today, but he was still making a point of taking himself away to a secluded place so he could pray with no distractions and no interruptions. And in Matthew 26, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes with his disciples to pray, but eventually he finds that he needs to be on his own. And so he distances himself from them. He isolates himself, not because he wants to explore temptation, but instead because he wants to spend time with God in prayer. The choice is ours. How are we going to use this time? Well, one of the ways that we can use this time is getting stuck into scripture, getting stuck into our Bibles, using this time to, to deepen our relationship with God and our understanding of his word. I want us to consider today the story of the widow's oil in 2 Kings chapter 4. Pick up your Bible and turn to the passage. You can press pause if I'm going too fast. And let's read the passage together. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, 
Go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live off what's left. So this passage is interesting because it it starts with a a lady in a familiar position. A lady who um, she's lost her husband, the source of income. Her husband wouldn't have been a big earner because he was a, a servant of Elisha. Elisha was a servant of God. So this man was a servant's servant. She finds herself widowed without a penny in the world and with debts to pay. We see her grief. We see her fear. We see her desperation as she calls out, the creditors are coming. My boys are going to be taken away. What am I going to do? I've just lost my husband and now my sons are going. I'm going to lose everything. What am I going to do? I've got no job, no income, no prospects. She turns to Elisha. He's the only person she can turn to. But even he says, how can I help you? She must have been thinking, but you're a man of God. You're a prophet. If you can't help, who can? But you see, Elisha shows great humility. He was a celebrity of the day, but he doesn't let his ego go to his head. He doesn't let his status and his relationship with God cloud the fact that he cannot do anything under his own steam. He recognises his limitations. And he says to her, what supplies have you got? This lady is so overwhelmed by her fear. All she can say is, I've got nothing. I have nothing there at all, she says, except a little oil. You see, in times of fear and desperation, we can make the mistake of forgetting that God is a God of miracles. God is a God who can turn the tiniest, tiniest thing into something magnificent. He's a God who can make something out of nothing. And so whatever God has given us, we must give thanks for and we must acknowledge and we must value Some of us will be sitting there this morning watching this sermon, overwhelmed and overcome with fear. It may be fear about our financial future. Maybe we've we've made investments that have gone bad and now suddenly we don't know where our living is going to come from because the stock market is in such a dire mess. Maybe we're thinking about our health. We know that we've suffered in the past and there's this terrible virus coming around and we have no idea where it's lurking, which surfaces it's on, or who's going to 
come near us carrying it. Maybe we're fearful of loneliness. Maybe we live on our own and we know that isolation is going to be a long, desolate time that we're dreading. Maybe we're a key worker and we've been out working long shifts all week, unable to get to supermarkets or shops, so we know that we've only got enough food to get us through a few days. Maybe it's the fear of employment. Maybe we're on a zero hours contract or we have no contract at all. And the fear of not having a job when it took so long to find the one that we did have in the first place is just nagging away all the time. Or maybe it's the fear of not being able to pay the rent or the mortgage. Despite the the generous package the government proposed this week, that fear doesn't go away. Or maybe it's the fear of the fact that we could be facing a long time without seeing our family, our children, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters, people we love and care for, and suddenly we're not going to be allowed to see them. All of these things are flying around at the moment. We live in fear. But as Christians, we don't. As Christians, fear is not on our agenda. We may feel it, but time and time again throughout Scripture, we are told, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Paul writes these words in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul was in prison at the time. He would have known fear, but he would also have known he is instructed not to be afraid. You see, the Bible recognises that we will experience fear. We will experience these times of trepidation. And that's why time and time again, we have the reminders, do not be afraid. Because God is with you. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I spoke to somebody this week who half jokingly said they expect the divorce rate to skyrocket in the next few months as couples are forced to spend time together. Now, they were half joking, but they were also half serious because it's true, isn't it, that there are so many, so many couples, so many families around the world who actually are on the brink. We need to be the spirit of unity, the spirit of peace. We need to be the ones who, whether it's through a phone call, whether it's whether it's through a letter sent, whether it's through an email or whether it's within our own household. We need to be the ones that demonstrate humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity and peace. Our society has got some struggles ahead. There are going to be challenges, but challenges bring opportunity. And the church in this country has got an amazing opportunity to re-establish itself as the nation's conscience, to re-establish itself as the, the organisation that sets the moral agenda, that reminds people that decency and kindness and love are worth fighting for, are worth demonstrating. Each one of us has got a responsibility to make the most of this opportunity. 
and to make sure that we don't let ourselves become overwhelmed with fear. Back to the widow. Elisha says to her, Go round and ask all your neighbours for jars. Big ones, small ones, doesn't matter. Get as many empty jars as you can, but they must be empty. And so she does. She tells her two sons to go to the neighbours, knock on doors, collect as many as they possibly can. And once they've filled the house, Elisha says, go inside and shut the door. Isolate yourselves. He says, once the door is shut behind you, pour the oil. And as each jar is filled, put it to one side. And so the widow and her sons go into their house. They get the, the jar with this tiny amount of oil in it. The oil that is, is such an insignificant amount that she'd even almost forgotten about it when Elisha asked her if she had anything. And she starts pouring. And the tiny amount of oil starts to flow and flow and flow. And it keeps on flowing until the jar into which she is pouring is full up and she has to put it to one side and take another one and then carry on pouring. And by this point, she must have thought, I didn't have a whole jar full. This is ridiculous. And now this one's full. And so she went on and on and on, pouring and pouring and pouring, filling up the empty vessels in her house. We all have empty vessels in our houses. And you know what? They remain empty because we don't have time to do anything about them. You see, every empty vessel, it has the potential to be used for something. For all of us, we have different jars in our houses. It might be that book that you bought years ago but never had the time to sit and read. It might be the exercise mat that your spouse gave you for Christmas a couple of years ago but it hasn't even come out of the wrapper. Maybe you could spend time now exercising, getting a bit healthy. You don't have to go out for runs, you can focus on, you can focus on exercises you can do in your house. Maybe you're terrified about teaching your children. Kids are going to be at school. I'm going to have to become a teacher. I can't imagine that. But actually, don't look on it as a, as a chore. These are our children. What a privilege to be able to spend quality time learning and teaching and sharing with our children. Our teachers do this day after day. They spend more time with our own children than we do. But now we've got this opportunity We've got this opportunity to, to mould our children's character, to teach them from our own mouths. What a pleasure, what a privilege that can be. Or maybe an empty jar for you is picking up the phone and ringing that, that relative or that friend that you simply haven't had time to speak to for six months. Maybe it's time to ring them up and say, look, let's speak to each other every couple of days. Let's rekindle our relationship and use this time, this opportunity to, to, to kickstart our friendship once again. Or maybe you've got a stack of old photos up in the loft that you think, 
I've, I never, ever, ever get time to sort them out. Well, here you go. Here's an opportunity. Get them down, sort them out, spend some time looking back, enjoy the memories, catalogue them. You see, what I'm trying to say is set a goal every day and achieve it. Fill an empty jar. And of course, look at your prayer life. We can pray in all this time. We can pause and we can, we can spend time with God. We can spend time meditating on his word. We can ask him to speak to us and then we can actually take the time to listen, which in the busyness of the world can be so difficult. We can study scripture in depth. And as we have this time away from the busyness of life, when we can't go out of our own houses, let's use it. Let's use it productively and positively. You see, I'm one of these people who is annoyingly optimistic. I like to see potential in every situation, no matter how dire it seems. And I see potential in this situation. Don't get me wrong, it is not a good situation. People are dying and more people will. That's the reality of the situation in which we find ourselves. But God can use you and I to achieve immeasurably more than we can imagine. And he will. So let's not be afraid. Let's... Let's remember those empty jars. As we go out into the world, as we go out into our own homes and we think about going out into the world, let's remember that we too, we too are jars of clay. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That treasure is the Holy Spirit, the power of God realised in us. Our relationship with God is something to treasure We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The fear comes when we try to do things in our own power. The faith comes when we recognise that we can't, but God can. Paul goes on in verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. So please, whatever this week may hold, and none of us have a clue, just remember, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is there for you. Don't be afraid. Be positive. 
Look for opportunities. Look for the empty jars in your life. Look for the challenge you can set yourself every day and then fulfill it. And look to come closer and closer and closer to God through prayer and meditation and the studying of his word. Fear is negative, but faith is positive, And this time calls for faith. We go through the thick and thin with God because he goes through the thick and thin with us. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. So let's look after one another. In John 15, Jesus boiled down all his commandments to one simple word, uh, phrase, love one another. Let's make sure that we look out for each other as a congregation. Let's pick up the phone, let's send the email, let's, let's knock on the door while we still can. Let's provide for each other and love one another. And finally, please bear in mind the words of Romans 13. We must respect the advice that our authorities give us. We must not flaunt the, the measures that our government is taking because they are taken to protect us. And biblically, we must respect that. We must abide by them. No matter how draconian it feels, they are trying to protect us. And so let's make sure that we, 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 obey, we obey the authority of our government. But most of all, let's remain obedient to our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, that there is never a time in history when people haven't been able to turn to it and find reassurance. Lord, thank you for our faith and we pray that you will help us to remain faithful every day through this crisis. Lord, help us to recognise opportunities where we can we can help other people, whether that's through taking them shopping and supplies or whether it's simply through sending a an encouraging email or a phone call supporting them. Father, help us to be obedient to the measures that our government is putting in place to make sure that we we live by them, that we do all we can to ensure that not only do we protect ourselves, but we also protect those around us. Father, bless us, we pray. Give us all the strength that we need. Give us hope, give us peace, And through your grace, we pray that this virus will be taken care of, that these measures being taken will will succeed, that actually the number of people who, who suffer as a result will be far, far lower than experts predicting. Father, you are a God of healing power. You are a God of miracles. And we pray now, Lord, for a miracle. We pray, Lord, that you will protect our country and other countries from this virus. We pray for our our NHS staff and for all, all the civil servants who are working so hard to protect us. Bless them, we pray, Lord. And bless us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.